Amen. All right. Well, we're ready to roll, ready to rock. Um, we're going to go into this chapter. And there are a few things that I just, um, that I pulled out that I want to have some discussion around and, and, and talk about and, and really dive into that will help us uh, to understand um, how to communicate uh, a sermon, how to put it together, how to uh, communicate it. And this book by Brian Chappell <laughs> um, is a very thick book, but it, uh, it's a very informative book. And what we're going to try to do is I'm going to try to help you cut through to the, 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 the meat, right down to the meat where we can go because there's a lot of information here. And so the first thing we want to discuss is how many things is a sermon about? And this seems like a silly question, right? Um, but I think um, people can get lost in a sermon. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're listening to someone, you know, preach and teach and you're wondering, I don't know where they're at. I don't know where they're going. I don't know what scripture they're, I don't know where they're coming from. I don't know where they're going to. And that's because they're probably not um, following the rule of unity. They're not focused on unity. And so we're going to look at uh, page 24, unity. Uh, and we're going to read uh, these two paragraphs if I can get some readers, and then we're going to kind of discuss this first point of how many things is a sermon about? Uh, and it's a simple answer, but we're going to discuss why it's important. So let me get two readers, two separate readers. Actually, one person can do it. Uh, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Darnell. Thank you. Okay. Key unity. Is that where you want me to start? With yes. Yes, okay. right there. How many things is a sermon about? One. Sermons of any significant length contain theological concepts, illustrated materials, and corroborative facts. There are many, these many components, however, do not imply that a sermon is about many things. Each feature of a well-wrought well message reflects, reflects, refines, and develops one major idea. This major idea or theme glues the message together and makes its features stick in a listener's mind. All of the features of a sermon should support the concept that unifies the whole. The reasons for the unity. Constructing a message so that all its features support a main idea requires discipline. Boiling out extraneous thoughts and crystallizing ideas so that the entire message functions as a unit have tested many a preacher. Some yield to the pressure and indiscriminately dispense their ideas using whatever sequence, emphasis, and structure most easily springs to mind. Others argue that they cannot say all they want in, in, about a text if they must relate particulars to a single thing. So why strive for unity? Okay, so let's, let's, <laughs> let's talk about that. Um, how many things is a sermon about? And the answer emphatically is one. But but why? Why why is that? Why is that important? Why is that important to to you? Um, being a listener for many years, and then being on the other side of it, being one who will be communicating God's word. So 
Uh, why is that important? Anybody, why is that important to you? I think it's important as a someone who goes to church that you remember what you hear because there's so often you're going to church and you come out, oh, that message was good. What was it about? <laughs> um, and if it was all, you know, you, you can't, you can't just do a, a, a one sentence synopsis of it if it was all over the map. Amen. Amen. I definitely, definitely, definitely agree. Definitely agree. And so what are some of these benefits to exercising this discipline of unity um, as it relates uh, for the speaker? So if you're a speaker, what is what is the benefit of ex exercising the discipline of unity? And the simple answer, no trick answer, it's right there in your book. Keeps you focused? Yes, to keep you focused. Uh, you definitely need focus. One of the things I do when I'm sitting down with my assistant pastors on the week that they're going to preach is I'm asking them, what's your focus? What are you leading towards? And I'm, I'm listening and I'm asking and I'm like, because if, you, if you're all over the place, you know, you're going to have the people all over the place. And so not only does the speaker need focus, right? But the listeners need focus uh, because you're most people listening on a Sunday morning or, or Wednesday night or whenever they're hearing the word of God, you're already under attack. There's already so many things coming at you. There's so many reasons to not focus. There's so many reasons to be distracted. And if someone gets up there and they start over here and then they end up over there and then they go into here and they follow this bunny trail there and, and you know, now, now the, the experienced preachers know how to take that trail and lead back to where they're supposed to be, right? But people who are inexperienced go down that trail and it's like, okay, I don't know where they went. I have no idea what they're talking about anymore, <laughs> you know, and that is frustrating. And you don't want to be that person, <laughs> you know, and I don't want to put any pressure or weight on you. I, I just, you know, want you to understand that there's a benefit to keeping unity and staying on track and focusing on a theme and really bringing that theme out. And, and, and the way that it's done uh, is through, you know, disciplining yourself to be able to stick with the text. And that's why we're talking about expository sermons, expository teaching, expository preaching, because what it does is that the, the passage gives the power. The, you can say that, that this is the word of God because you haven't added anything to it. You haven't taken anything from it and you're focused on bringing out what is there, you know, and you have done the, the due diligence. You've done the work uh, throughout the week or the month or, you know, because some of us that, that don't preach a lot, you have maybe a month to get ready for your next message. You know, you, some people know that they're going to speak in the, in the spring. And so they got a, they got a sermon that they're going to preach in March or April. You've got all this time to develop all that information and then narrow it all the way down 
so that people can then understand. Um, that's where this very important, important piece uh, that I think it was life changing for me and it really helped me early on uh, to be able to understand what the 3 a.m. statement is. Now, before we read about it, does anybody remember from your reading what the 3 a.m. statement is? Someone give me a quick synopsis, your quick understanding of what it is. What is the 3 a.m. statement? It's basically the question of what was the sermon about? Yeah, if someone woke you up in the middle of the night or stopped you uh, midweek or, you know, it's Saturday evening and say, hey, what are you preaching about tomorrow? You've got to be able to tell them a concise statement. Now, we're going to take some time on this because uh, I think if you're not used to um, doing this, it is it can be kind of overwhelming, but we're going to try to make it not so overwhelming. And so we're going to go to page 26 um, and I need a reader to read um, uh, the process of unity. And we're going to read into page 27 down to um, let's see the third third paragraph. And we're kind of we'll stop on 3 a.m. test and talk about it a little bit, but yeah, into that third paragraph. So page 26, process of unity into page 27, looks like the third paragraph. Let's get a reader. Uh, let's see, Darnell read first. Who's next? Someone different. Go ahead, Miss Rochelle. I, I, you you look eager and ready. <laughs> Thank you, Apostle. Amen. Amen. <laughs> the process of unity. <clears throat> Once a preacher determines the importance of the unity, the next question that arises is, how do I achieve it? Mm -hmm. The process is not complicated, but it can take hard work. The fruit of this labor, however, will save a preacher's much additional labor and listeners much confusion. Amen. <laughs> Ooh. Following these simple steps to obtain unity in a sermon, read the digest the read and digest the passage to determine a the main idea the writer communicates through the text nature, details and features, i.e. discern the central concept and aspect of the text support or develop, or b an idea that is supported by sufficient material in the text and can be developed into a main subject of a message. Melt down this idea into one concise statement. Okay, stop right there. Stop right there. All right. So these two points, read and digest the passage to determine, A, the main idea that the writer communicates through the text, nature, details, features. Now, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, it, it, it sounds very technical, but we, we want to make it more simple. If, if I'm reading something, I want to read it enough to be able to discern what the text is saying. What is it saying? Now, here's the mistake that, uh, and you guys are, you know, different, but at the time... 
um, when I was going into uh, my classes uh, in, in 2008, it was really, really popular to have a message and then go find a passage that I can preach this message with. Now, you may not <laughs> you, you you may not be familiar with that process, but people are like, oh man, I got this message. And so now they go to the Bible and they look for a passage that communicates this message that I'm going to preach. Now, let's throw that out there a little bit. Pros and cons, <laughs> you know, of something like that. What are the drawbacks and, and, and what may be, you know, uh, an advantage in doing that? I think one of the drawbacks is it with the tendency to take something out of context. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anything else? Come on, somebody else. You may not find the ideal scripture that goes with what your thought is. Yeah. You may be pushing a, a, a square peg into a round hole, you know? What else? It sounds like a personal agenda versus a word from heaven Amen. that he wants yeah. to relate to his people. And, and with that being said, what's the point? Mm. Exactly. Exactly. On the pro side, um, I think reading in the next chapter, it could be just something that got placed on your heart that you're passionate that you're about. That's your passion. Therefore, exactly. You, you have, you're going to be able to communicate it and articulate it in a manner, you know, from your passion, you know, to be able to get the message across. Yeah, yeah. I, so, so there are a lot of things that can go wrong, but there are some advantages to doing that. I would not suggest it. <laughs> unless you are a very very experienced uh, you know uh speaker now you know someone you know like an apostle phil god can give him a word and he probably knows right where to go right to preach that particular prophetic word that's released right whereas someone that's not as skilled and doesn't know the word as well ah it could be very pro problematic any other comments on that I have a question, please. Yes. Okay, so when when I guess I'm a little confused then because I felt I always feel that that the Holy Spirit or God through the Holy Spirit is what lays what lays upon our hearts and what He wants us to say. All right. So then, if we're not relying on that, then what? I mean, is it? Where do we go to next then? Well, he should be revealing that to you from your study time in the Word. Right, that's what I'm saying. I mean, so he right. lays through the Holy Spirit. He, he gives us what he wants to say. Now, yeah. So, here, so here's what happens. Somebody might, I don't know, watch a movie. You know, um, you know maybe the, the title's called, you know, Set It Off. Oh, that sounds like a good message. And so I'm going to go find me a passage and preach about set it off because everybody wants to set it off. You see what I'm saying? You know, and so you, you, you weren't relying on Holy Spirit, you know, and if it was Holy Spirit, <laughs> I, the prayer is that he takes you to the perfect passage to be able to communicate that. And that's why I think there's pros and cons to that. You know, someone who's experienced 
and who knows the, 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 the word of God well enough to be able to do that, you know, versus someone who is just trying to do something cool and relevant, like, oh, well, I'm getting ready to preach to youth. And so I take one of their popular rap songs and turn it into a sermon. You know, it could be very dangerous because, as someone said, you, you end up taking material out of context to speak what you want to say versus unpacking what God has already said. So yeah. yeah, I mean, all the the um, Micah Rochelle talked about earlier. Um, the I've given a word twice at the um, Colorado Springs campus, and both times, like I said, was because of what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart, and I already, like I said, supplied everything. You know what the scriptures and everything. So I guess I got you know a little confused because I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I, but I guess I can see that if you're not getting it from the spirit or trying to do it in your own strength, of course, all that, you know, can go wrong. Amen. Amen. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I will. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, um, I've had it a few times where there'd be more, I can't shake it. So it'll keep coming back to me. It'll keep coming back to me until I go grab my Bible and start researching it or start doing something. Right. So like for the longest time, I um, I had the word wilderness stuck in my mind, and I kept asking the Lord, "Explain to me wilderness. What's wilderness? What are you doing in the wilderness? How are you preparing for it?" I have my journal. I remember just going through the story of the Israelites in the wilderness and all of this stuff just just downloading and pouring to where I'm making, you know, like dividing my paper and writing pros and cons and stuff like that. And that I would feel like is from the Holy Spirit Amen. because it's not something I was thinking about, but I had this desire to understand what is what is the wilderness? Is it a is it a training ground for anyone who is walking with the Lord or what is it doing to the individual? And I got such a rich understanding of it, you know, by the help of the Holy Spirit that I was just in love with my study. Yeah, that's and 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 in all actuality, that's that's the way I study. The Holy Spirit will drop something on me and I'll study that thing out. You know, and it may never it may never be a sermon but if God says to speak on it, I will speak on it. But, you know, so often what, what I'm talking about, like I said, you guys are kind of in, in your ordination process is coming at a time that's kind of beyond that era of, you know, this, you know, cool, trying to be cool kind of preaching, you know, and, and this group doesn't even seem like that type of group of people anyway. But, you know, there, there was there was there was a time where, man, anything could be a message. You know, um, if the if, if the new Avengers movies out, pastors were putting together a whole series about the Avengers and they're turning, you know, Paul and Peter into Iron Man and this and that because it was popular, not because God was giving them a word for the people. And, and, and that's that that's the struggle. You know, that's and that's different from, you know. Uh, uh, being in prayer and seeking the Lord and him initiating something, 
you know, not from culture, not to be relevant, not to, you know, persuade people. Paul said, not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but with a demonstration of spirit and power that their faith not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, yeah, that's definitely. You know, I will say that I was probably being transparent, probably guilty of this um, over the course of the, the last couple of years going through this program, knowing that there was a call to preach on my life, um, finding things like, oh, that'd be cool to preach about, or, um, yes. of course, now I, now I know better, but, I mean, that's, that was my approach, and it was actually interesting that God gave me something from Nehemiah, and just like Shara, I mean, I have my notes, I, it just started flowing. I just started writing, or, you know, it just started coming to my mind, and I'm just writing and writing these thoughts down. I haven't really done anything with it since that time to kind of pull anything together, but it's a very different experience trying to do it on your own versus when God gives you something and you begin to write it. So, but um, it, it was a specific passage to me in my but It's interesting you say that. I, re I still remember my husband sitting across from me here at the dinner table, and he remembers it too. Uh, a pastor, I was probably 14, 15 years old, and it was my husband's pastor, my husband's church, pastor, my husband's church, and we weren't together at that time. But he preached a sermon called, I Want to Rock With You. <laughs> and right. At that time, Michael Jackson was high. Right. <laughs> and so all of the teenagers in the class were like, oh, you know, come on. Right. And we're, it was a third Sunday Baptist Fellowship thing. And we're like, oh. And, you know, and honestly, it made us want to listen to it. It burnt us up. It made us, now, can I tell you what the message really was about? I can't. It was like 40 years ago. But, um, so, yeah, you, even, even just recently, I was at visiting, I was in Austin in November, and the pastor, and I don't question it. I'm not, I'm not questioning their judgment. That's, I'm not criticizing right. it. That was their approach, and, and I'm sure Reverend Gabriel's on I Want to Rock With You. Um, it was very relevant, I'm sure it was a good word, but as this particular pastor did, uh, his sermon was called The Voice, and he used the analogy from the show, The Voice had, had, had the chairs on the screen and everything. It was a great message. I still remember that message, but it's recent, um, but so... I, mean, I guess I would. I guess maybe it has its place. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you just throw it all out and say you never try to be relevant, but certainly it has to come. You know, it, it can't be in your own thought processing. So I, I'm not sure not being relevant isn't the thing. Right. I, you know, and, and that's why I said pros and cons. Let's really talk about it from both sides of it. You know, I I, I would never suggest that it would be the optimum approach but at times you know by the leading of the holy spirit but i just i don't think that you can make it from week to week every week you're grabbing something from popular you know culture to put on this series and as a matter of fact i i would almost say that no i don't think that that's the holy spirit i think you are just reaching out to those that are seeker sensitive type you know commercializing the gospel instead of if god does give you something and then you put this uh, uh, uh illustration to it and we'll talk about reasons why and why not to illustrate later on in a couple of weeks but illustration to it that may actually be culturally relevant but the word that was given to you was from scripture you know, and that's that's a different process, whereas you get the word from culture and then try to apply scripture and try to fit scripture to it. Whereas if you get a word from God, 
you know, maybe the, the, the you know, the, I don't know, uh, she was talking about the voice, you know, and, and maybe you're, you're preaching about the voice crying out in the wilderness and, you know, that illustration, whatever it is, you use that illustration to say, you know, how important the voice is or what have you, but that's, that's a different direction. You're coming from the word God has given you something and now you're illustrating it. Whereas if you're taking from culture and saying, let me find some scripture to fit it. I think that's problematic. Can I share something with you? Yes. Agreed. So a couple of years ago, I don't know if you guys remember this TV show or not, but it, I'm a big Disney fan. So I love all the Disney movies and stuff. And, um, I was talking to my cousin and she said that there was this new show out. It's called once upon a time. And it's really about, are you guys familiar with it or no? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I was talking to her and this is when I, my walk with the Lord was strengthening and I was just growing in the Lord. And I was like, if you think about it, it's really kind of like how the evil witch has casted the spell on everybody. And, <laughs> and I said, isn't that how it is with us as human beings too? Like there's this before, before we, we don't know the Lord, we're doing our own thing. It's kind of like a, like like a spell almost that's over us we don't know who we really are because in those in the show the characters don't know who they really are they don't know who their true identity is until the spell is broken or or something like that and the, the identity is revealed i used to like you said you know popular shows at, like i said i was starting my walk and i was like that would be kind of cool to kind of tie in that into you know uh, like an example or something because to me I really took it as a fact that as Christians when we're not born again or we don't know God there's like this overcast there's this thing that's over us and we don't know our identity we don't know who we belong to until we find Jesus until we figure out who we really are and then we start walking into who we were created to could something like that be I'm not saying I'm doing it, but I saw right. the comparison and I was like, this was really cool. And and I'm not going to lie. I feel like my calling really is to reach out to the young people. Every time it goes back, it comes back to the young people. And no matter what I do, my heart is always just going out to them. So for me, it's important to kind of connect some examples like that to where I can you know, draw them in, not to manipulate them, but to speak the words so they can relate to, you know, Okay, she does have a point. Relate to, you know, um, and I know what, you know, relate to the times and stuff like that so I can grasp her attention. What are your thoughts the, on that? Yeah, I, I would say, I would say, you know, uh, in sharing that with someone who is spiritual, Yeah. you know, the Bible says test everything, right? Test everything and cleave to that which is good. And so just listening to that, I'm like, you know what? That actually, that was a more of a revelation of what you know it really is like and you were able to see that you you weren't oh this is popular and i want to use that to go and reach people that actually was the opposite it was actually god showing you felt like god was showing you something like this is interesting you know i wonder if it would be okay to use that as an illustration you know, and like I said, we'll talk about, you know, reasons why and why not to illustrate, how to illustrate. But I think, you know, just listening and listening with the spirit, you say, well, you know what, that that connects, you know, that's not 
far out there. That's not, you know, one pastor titled his sermon, Drop It Like It's Hot. <laughs> right? How are you going to preach that? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how you going to, how you going to, I'm like, what passage is he getting ready to come from <laughs> right? to preach that? You know, and, and, you know, and so. I think I think we can only pray that he had that you know he had been given his sermon and he had everything. That's all we could do. But he was just struggling for a title. Oh man. <laughs> okay, and so and so so maybe he got the title, but but I'm hoping he didn't start with the title. <laughs> hey, you know, I, but I tell you, I, I I grew up amongst a lot of young preachers, and that's what they would do. They'd write down on the people. They'd have a notebook. With a whole mm-hmm. bunch of cool titles, you know, and then figure out how, you know, where would I preach this from? So. See, the, the interesting thing is I have three boys. I mean, you're meeting me for the first time. My friends already know that. And I'll watch a lot of Marvel movies with them. And I promise you, I'm not <laughs> even too. going there sometimes. But it will be like the Lord will drop certain things as I'm watching a clip or a movie. And that's happened to me multiple times. And I'll think, oh, where can I use it sometime just to kind of um, talk to the young people? Like, I'll give you a perfectly good example with uh, Spider-Man. I think it was when he had when he became Black Spider, you know, the, with the black costume. Mm-hmm. And you remember when he had that power struggle with trying yep. to remove it? <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? Yes. And, I do that. and my kids sometimes are like, Mom, why do you always bring the Bible into it? Why can't we just enjoy the movie? <laughs> and I'm like, see, this is what the devil does. This is what you go through. <laughs> But you see, I, I feel like that's coming from a different source. That's that's coming from him. That's your relationship with him. And you're seeing things that yeah. relate to him rather than trying to snatch something that I think will work, you know, right. like a gimmick, yeah. like, you know, a, a, you know, go ahead, Miss Betty. I, I know you've been trying to get in there. You were like, oh, let me in, <laughs> let me in, let me in. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, this is the scripture that is coming to me. It's in. Second Timothy two fifteen. Mm-hmm. It says, "Study Ready. to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babbling, mm. for they will increase unto more ungodliness." <laughs> and so that actually applies to both you teaching a sermon or speaking, as well as you listening. And trying to decipher, you know, what God is giving. So I, I think that uh, you're you're spot on. If someone is continually, you know, bringing titles in from, you know, things of that nature, you you got to kind of question. But if God is going to give you something and you're in tune with Him, you're going to receive that. Right. So um, that's the key, I believe, just being in tune with the Lord and what He has for you. Amen. Amen. And if I can, if I can just add. Just the focus of all of this is is for us to become transformed. Right. So you got it has to be the word of God in the context, and you can do some applications with it. But the only way we're gonna be transformed is by what He said. By what What He yes. said. Amen. Amen to that. Let's pick up our reading. Uh, I think Miss Rochelle was reading, and you're just coming off of a meltdown. These ideas into one concise statement. Okay, you will have unity when you can demonstrate that the elements of the passage supports 
the theme of your message and you can state the theme, that theme is in a form simple enough <laughs> to pass the 3 a.m. test. The 3 a.m. test requires you to imagine a spouse, a roommate, a parishioner waking you from a deep slumber with this simple question, what's the sermon, what's the sermon about today? preacher. If you cannot give a crisp answer, the sermon is probably half-baked. Thoughts, thoughts you cannot gather at 3 a.m. are not likely to be caught by others at 11 a.m. Ooh, that's good. At 3 a.m., you know the following will not work as a theme. When the sinful nation of Israel went into exile, its messianic, messianic I'm sorry, messianic, messianic mm -hmm. hope and visions were mistakenly and faithlessly mm, diminished because pre Ezran and pre, I may not pronounce this correct, pneumatic, pneumatic proofs of God's sovereign plan, purpose, and intentions for his people were obscured in Babylonian circumstances of incarceration and oppression that would not be relived until the Persian emancipation and further conventional, I'm sorry, covenant, I can't pronounce that. Yeah, covenantal. Covenantal mm -hmm. revelations in advancing redemptive history. Goodness. Now, if that that was, I mean, that's a that's a book, not a a, a sermon. <laughs> that won't work. But what will work? <laughs> Go ahead, Miss Rochelle. <laughs> oh, keep going. Mm -hmm. This will God remains faithful to His faithless people. Okay. Now, all that boiled down into that concise statement. Jeez. Now, when when you're studying, you know, we were always thought that we were always taught to study. Um, uh, and it's an upside down pyramid. Right. And so your study is wide at first. I mean, you're gathering information. You're looking at different texts and resources. I mean, you're 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 following all the rabbit trails because you're trying to understand everything. You're focusing on these different words. What's this Hebrew word? What's this Greek word? You're doing all this work, but you're you're not going to talk about all of that. What you're going to do is take that information, and you're going to boil it down to a point, and you're going that's going to be what you talk about. That information is so that the Holy Spirit can pull from this reservoir. The Bible says that you don't have to rehearse what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit is going to reveal in that moment. But you got to have something in there, right? You got to have his word in there because he's not going to speak what's not his word. You know, the, the Bible says that he's only going to, he's going to take from Jesus and give to you. And so he's going to speak what is in uh, direct relationship and correct relationship to who Jesus is, who God is. You can tell a person not speaking from the Holy Spirit when they are just totally messing up who Jesus is. They're totally messing up who God the Father is. They, they, they don't even, 
they're 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 you know treating the holy spirit like he's the 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 force from star wars or something you know i mean they're just and you're like that you know that's not god that's clever that's you know uh he's a wonderful speaker but that's not god you know because when you're speaking god's word is going to be consistent with him and so that statement has to be concise enough that when i say it people are like okay I want to hear what that is, but you don't want to, you know, do what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Just find something that is cool, you know. Well, let's see, who am I speaking to today? Uh, you know, uh, oh, okay, I'm going to talk about Young and the Restless. That's my sermon title, Young and the Restless, you know, <laughs> you know, because I think, you know, people are going to, you know, like that. It's it's really a, a tough, a tough battle for a lot of people. <laughs> But I want to go back to um, what Sarah was talking about in terms of like seeing things that you think may have application. I think it was in the next chapter where it talked about there's nothing wrong with compiling information or examples or things that may, when God gives you that sermon, you can pull to your drawer and pull that out or kind of noting it. Right. So it may be, maybe you don't take it and then go, oh, I'm a preacher because it's kind of relevant. There's nothing wrong with leaving and saving that those nuggets that may be given to you those those relevant current things that are happening so that when you do god does give you something you know you can go to your folder as it talked about and you know maybe some of those can end up being illustrations to what god has given you to share right so i, I you know it's not that i think we have to throw them all away um but you know certainly you want to do it with guidance of the holy spirit yeah i think i think you want to test it you know the Bible says, you know, don't despise prophecy, but test everything, you know. Uh, and when you say tested in um, the role of the preacher, what do you what do you mean? I mean, is it so consistent? I have this idea. Right. Yeah, I got this thought. I got this idea. Is this actually consistent with God's word? You know, um, okay, let's say you. let's say there was a movie. Um, I don't know. Uh, there was a movie, uh, Get Out, right? Let's say, you know, I'm, I'm watching Get Out and, man, I feel like God is, you know, this is going to, this, you know, and I, I don't even remember the movie, but I just remember the title. And, you know, uh, with that sermon title, I'm, I'm probably thinking that you're you're about to preach on casting out demons. But what if, what if you're, you're preaching on, you know, Get Out as in, get out of that house or I don't know. I don't even know where you would go with something like that, but there are people who are creative enough that they can take something like that. And they write down these lists of sermon titles that they're going to use. You know, I, I, you know, and I say this because I've been in the back rooms with, with some of those pastors. And that's when I realized that I didn't fit in uh, because, you know, they were saying some, you know, Crazy stuff like, man, which one are you going to use tonight? You know, which one are you going to use on them tonight, man? I slayed them last week with this sermon and this. And I'm like, what? What? what what's? I'm, I'm looking around like, what's what's going on here? You slayed them last week with this sermon. Yeah, the one I used out in Indiana or the one I used over here, man, I might use that one tonight. See, I feel like that's different than someone whose heart is to hear from God and you know you're genuinely seeking God because the Bible says to the pure 
all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their conscience is defiled, you know? And so there's, I feel like there's a difference, you know? And I love the fact, you know, that you guys probably have never been exposed to any of that chicanery, <laughs> none of that nonsense, you know? So those that have, you like, I know what you're talking about, but those that haven't, thank God. You know, thank God I am the only one exposing you to it so that you can know that it's out there because there are some people that they use the pulpit as a means to promote self and to get another engagement. Like if I preach good, maybe, you know, somebody will hear me and want me to go and preach at their church next. And this kind of, I'm telling you, there was some really, there's some really shady different stuff was going on, you know, um, some years back and, and it may be still happening in some circles even now. And so, uh, <laughs> be warned. <laughs> Amen. Did I lose somebody? I think I also think about too, when we were talking about last week about like the, the hooping and some of that stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> they're not, they're not trying to get, the the word across is about oh no I just need to get these people excited yeah if I get the people excited then that's going to make me seem like a really good preacher then right, right. absolutely absolutely all right let's let's move forward a little bit because I want to be able to spend some time on the fallen condition focus. Um, and really we just kind of talked about, uh, a falling condition, you know, focus, uh, that a lot of passages in the Bible speak to those type of things. And we, and we may look at one, uh, as we talk about this. So in your own words, those who actually read through and this particular, uh, uh, terminology impacted you, what is, uh, the FCF or the falling condition focus in your own words i don't want the technical one we'll go and we'll look at the actual technical definition it's kind of in two parts and and we'll put it together into one whole definition but what what is it uh based upon your reading i i would say it's um for me my understanding is the fragility is the i mean we're just Hmm. yeah we're just fragile I mean, to the point where we really couldn't help ourselves. I mean, because he had to die to come and help us. Yeah. But, um, and I think to some, I think it was Sarah um, when she says how the Lord speaks to her. Um, and, and I'm tying it in with this fragility. And I don't know if I'm making up a word with that. But <laughs> um, some time ago, the Lord just gave me this dream. Oh, Throughout the whole night, mm-hmm. all it was was jars of clay, jars of clay. I'm mm-hmm. like, jars of clay? And it was a literal jar with clay in it. And I was like, okay. And so I got up and I said, Holy Spirit, lead me to this because you're talking to me. And I know it's in your word because everything you give, it's already there. And I went and, and searched that out and studied it. And it's it's talking about this FCF. We, we we are fragile, but he chose mm. to house himself, my God, in us 
So we'll know and they'll know that it's his power. Yes. Amen. But 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 to, to your point, it just shows how fragile we are. Amen. Amen. Come on, anybody else? What's the FCF? What was that stood out to you in your reading? So the, the FCF is identifying that common problem or common conflict or sin that um, that you need to look to God or the Holy Spirit or the Word of God to solve Yes. or provide solutions or mm. answers to. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? The FCF. Well, the word that stood out to me when I was reading this was um, human condition. Mm. So it's the human condition that we all suffer from since the beginning, which we all live in a fallen world. We've all sinned. And um, to me, every aspect of my life, you know, is is in a fallen condition in some way, shape, or form because of that. And um, I cannot do that. I cannot correct it in my own power. Um, I don't have the solutions for that um, in my own power. And I have, you know, it, I'm only going to be able to find that in the Word of God. And um, by applying what is taught in the word to the issues that I'm going through. So, amen. 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 Beautiful, beautiful. Let's go to page 30. Um, and we're going to look at um, the last three, um, the last three sentences in the second paragraph as. Uh, the first half of our definition for the fallen condition focus. Uh, and it, 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 it simply says that the fallen condition focus, the FCF, is the mutual human condition that contemporary persons share with those to or about whom the text was written that requires the grace of the passage for God's people to glorify and enjoy him. Now, this this is powerful in the sense that it is saying what you what some of you that have spoken have said that at the end of the day we have an issue that only God can deal with. And God deals with it through his word. And when our word when God's word with the grace of God uh, hits us and impacts us, we glorify God and enjoy Him, and and, and, and I love how he's put, you know, how he's putting this because he's he's saying that even when God exposes, you know, uh, the brokenness of our heart, it causes us to love Him, <laughs> not to run from Him, not to you know, avoid him, but it's calling us to him. The Bible says through loving kindness, you know, has he drawn us. And so this FCF, it kind of feels like a two-edged sword is that you're exposing my sin, but you're also giving me an antidote 
<laughs> to the sin and it's your grace through your word you know and so it, it's 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 a power it's a powerful thing and and you know I, I feel like anybody who really grasps this concept you know really then can trust that God's word is capable of transforming someone even you know uh, even to speak to their sin in such a way that it calls them to him not causes them to run from him right and so that's what you know the, the first half of this definition the second half um i would say is in verse 31 i mean uh, uh, page 31 look i'm preaching page 31 <laughs> um halfway down actually almost a two-thirds of the way down in that particular uh paragraph uh, it starts with an FCF. Um, it says an FCF purposes in inspiring a passage, which we preach in harmony with this purpose by saying how the text indicates people are to respond biblically to the FCF as it is experienced in our lives, identifying the gracious means that God provides for dealing or for its for oh sorry that God provides for us to deal with the brokenness in or about us that deprives us of the full experience and expression of his glory. And so the FCF here this part of it is that God is dealing with our brokenness in such a way that it gives us an opportunity um, to fully experience his glory that has been deprived from us through sin. Sin has separated us from God. And through his word, uh, I think it's uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, if any, anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, all things are made new. But verse 18 says, now all things are of God and God has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. Verse 19 says, but then he has given us <laughs> the ministry of reconciliation. And so there's this process of being made new, seeing how we've been made new and now given the power to go help other people <laughs> to be made new. And that's the grace of God. That's God's grace at work, the grace to save, but also the grace to empower so that we can go impact others. Um, I'm going to calm down and stop preaching. Uh, <laughs> any any comments <laughs> on, on the, uh, any further comments on the FCF? <laughs> no, this, I think this helps me understand a lot. I mean, um, like my passion, my desire, because God saved me and what he's put in me. And I have this desire and passion to give this gift or share this gift with somebody. And I don't even necessarily have to be related or connected. It's just because of what he's done for me that I am all for it. So what you've just shared, it's, it's explained beautifully. And, you know, it, that makes so much sense because for the longest time I, I used to wonder, like, I don't know these people, but I have this desire mm. to to give them something or have them know Christ. And, and, and I know that the only solution is 
the word of God. The only solution is Jesus and stuff. And, uh, but this kind of brings it into perspective what I'm feeling. Amen. 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 Any other comments? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. We're going to move forward and we're going to see how to determine the FCF. Um, what are the three questions uh, th- that help us? Three questions that help us to determine the FCF. And we're going to look at page uh, 33. And we're going to drop down to, looks like the third paragraph, even though there's some big paragraphs, the third paragraph. Um, and it says, since the FCF. Let me get a reader there and then to read the three questions. Who hasn't read? I can read. Okay, thank you. Since the FCF can vary greatly from text to text and from sermon to sermon, preached on the same text, a preacher needs to make sure the purpose of a sermon remains evident in the passage. An FCF will remain faithful to a text and identify powerful purposes in a sermon if a preacher uses these three successive questions to develop the SPF. Number one, what does the text say? Number two, what spiritual concerns did the text address in its context? What And number three, what spiritual concerns do listeners share in common with those two or about whom the text was written? Okay, so what does the text say? Uh, what the text says, I think, is a, a huge um, a huge mountain to climb. These 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 four five little words, <laughs> this this question here seems very innocent, but because of how far we are, right, from the time that this was written in, how different our culture is from the culture that was being originally addressed and uh, how technologically advanced we are compared to those to whom the passage was written and, and those who whom wrote the passage. This is a lot of work. And it has to be done first because we live in a time of subjectivism where there, you know, depending on how a person wants to interpret a passage, that's how they will then move forward. And, and I think there needs to be a lot of consideration and a lot of serious uh, uh, um, caution to coming to a conclusion of what the text means. Now, I've said a lot. Why do you think uh, I need to say that? Why? What, what, what would make you think that? Is he just being overboard? Why do you think this is so critical before you can really say anything to the people? You've got to deal with this question first, right? Uh, and, and this has to be dealt with first because everything that happens from there it could be it could be all messed up 
It could be all messed up before you've even started. You know, so determining what the text says. But number two, what spiritual concerns, concern or concerns, did the text address in its context? And when we talk about context, we're talking about historical or some people would use the term biblical context, meaning in the Bible days, in their time, right? But also the literary context. How are they using these words? Because one of the things that you learn the more you study the Bible is that the way they're using a word may not be the way that we use it today in our 21st century vernacular, right? They, they, they may use a word, you're like, what? That's what that meant for them? Like, oh, I would have, I, I was thinking it meant this. <laughs> and so it's important to not just look at the historical or biblical, but also examine the words, break down what they mean, you know, because that's going to be critical to you interpreting the passage uh, correctly. And then um, what spiritual concerns do listeners share in common with those to uh, or about whom the text was written? I call this um, the relate and respond feature, right? This is where we relate to the, the, the people in that time and then we ask the question, based on this situation, how do we respond? You know, how should we respond now that we know what they were dealing with and why they were dealing with it? Any questions? Um, Ex-Jesus class. Yes. Um, when we were taking it from, from their time and applying it to our time. And, um, you know, in, in this um, section that we're in, uh which is the, you know, what sermons require, you know, we have the unity and then this falls under the purpose. Um, and, um, and that's kind of asking like, why, you know, why, why does that the scripture or the passage relate to us, you know? So, um, yeah, so I, I can see that, you know, we want to be careful on, on why the scripture was written and, and when it was written and then from, from applying it from them to us, so. Amen. You know, because I, because I, I'm like, I'm like, uh, and I think we lost her, uh, uh, Charlene. Is that I love the historical details, right? I love looking at the then and there and what was happening and all those things. But I'm looking at that so that I can understand what they were facing, so I can come to a conclusion. Well, do do I relate to that? And if I do relate to that, how should I respond? I'm looking at how they responded. Maybe they responded right or wrong. I don't know, you know, depending on the people, you know, but that's where the meat of revelation comes from is doing this 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 work here of asking these questions and I love these these questions. These are Powerful questions. They seem they don't seem like a whole lot, but they're powerful questions. So let's do let's do a little bit of um, determining uh, the FCF. Let's go to a passage that maybe not a lot of people are familiar with, so that we can actually do some real work. 
Um, say, go, go, real quick? I go apologize. Ahead. Go ahead. I just want to inform you that Miss uh, Charlene okay. is not getting reception where she's at. Okay. Because, so. yeah, she's yeah. been popping on and off, but I know she's out of town, so um, it's no problem. No problem at all. All right. Thank you. Second um, Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Just a few verses. And we're going to ask the questions that we have here to see if we can determine what the FCF is. Now, remember, even in doing this, once we answer these questions, we're not ready to preach anything. This is basically for us to to be educated on what's going on. So we can find out what was the purpose of the passage. Then we'll start working on, you know, how to communicate. But right now we're still in the preparation stage. We're still preparing, you know, but but we have to identify the FCF to understand the purpose. As someone said earlier, I think it was Miss Burnett, the purpose of the passage. Okay, so Second Peter, chapter two, verses one through three. Um. Let's get somebody to read it uh, out loud for us. I know everybody's kind of going over it for themselves, but let's get a reader to read that out loud for us, and then we'll walk through the questions. Okay, I volunteer. Mm -hmm. Okay, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce a destructive heresies even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved con conduct and will bring the way of truth into this, this, this rebuke. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Okay, wow. All right. So, first question: um, What is the, what is this saying? What is this text saying? Um, and, and and we may be able to boil it down to one thing. We may not write this second, like you know, because normally you would have time to meditate on it and kind of read it and reread it and go over it. But just your preliminary analysis, <laughs> so to speak. What is this? What is this text saying? That false teachers will come. Yeah, I, I think that's that's great. Anybody want to add anything to that? And that they'll be out there spreading a lot of lies, and a lot of be lot will be will be fooled by it, but their destruction is inevitable. Mm -hmm. Anybody else? And they'll come and use you. <laughs> They're coming to use you, take your money, give you a false prophet, and all of that. Yeah, jeez. <laughs> if 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 I had to, if I had to summarize this, or if I had to give a three a.m. statement, I would say: Beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers, which is just combining what you guys have said, you know, beware of false teachers. So this is, this is Peter warning the people about false teachers. 
So what spiritual concerns? <laughs> you see how that first question kind of makes the next questions successively easier to discern? So what spiritual concerns did the text address in its context? In its context. So we're talking about then and there. So even when you say this, you want to say that Peter is addressing his audience. Because we're not talking about us yet. We haven't got to how we relate and what we have in common. So we, we haven't got to us yet. We're still in their context. And so what spiritual concerns did the text address um, in its context? Give me, give, me, give me some concerns. That many will follow these false teachers. Yeah, that people are going to be hoodwinked, bamboozled, run them up. <laughs> what else? It's destructive. Yeah, definitely. Teaching is destructive. What else? What else? Oh. You will be carried away by the lavish speaking mm. and how they're formulating. Uh, what they're saying is to draw us in. Mm. Falsely. Mm-hmm. They will, they will be, they will, they will be uh, distorting, the truth. distorting the truth. Yes, they will be distorting, distorting the truth. Amen. And so, based on that analysis, what spiritual concerns uh do the listeners which is us right now what do we share in common with the 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 listeners that peter was talking to his he's he's telling them these things what do what do we have in common with them i think that just a lot of us do not know enough of the word to be able to discern um, when someone is coming forth with some false uh, teaching. Right, right, right. Uh-huh, yeah. Somebody else, what do we what do we share in common? I'm basically that we could be led astray just as easily. Absolutely, absolutely. Anything else? So those two things are great. So what is our response? What should we do now? Because, you know, uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. go ahead. Go ahead. We need to be able to test the spirit by the spirit. Yeah. Okay. I mean, first and foremost. Yeah. I've, I've, I've said it about three or four times tonight. T- test everything <laughs> test everything what else how else should we respond we should know the word yeah we got to know the word ourselves because if we don't man i mean think about it in the bible how many times did um satan come quoting <laughs> scriptures <laughs> and think about how many times he was able 
to deceive people, especially I mean, starting as early as, you know, with Adam and Eve, you know, it was, it was basically generally saying kind of what God said. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Anybody else? How should we respond understanding this passage? Well, wouldn't that lead us into our next point, which would be application? Yes. That's kind of what response is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, how does it, you know, what do we do? <laughs> you know? And so you're you're thinking about this as the recipient, but now you you got to flip to the one who's going to be communicating it. And so as you go through this process, you got to say, okay, you that's why you got to know so how should someone respond to this? Once they know and understand this, once you've unpacked this, then okay, so how should someone respond to this? And that kind of goes into application. And so what is the key concept of application? Let's flip to page 34 and read this first paragraph. Let's get a new reader for this first paragraph. I will read <clears throat> application. <clears throat> Key concept without the so what <laughs> you preach to a who cares. <laughs> right. No passage relates neutral commentary on our fallen condition. Hmm. No text communicates facts or information alone. The Bible itself tells us that its message is intended to instruct, reprove, and correct. See 2 Timothy 3.16 and then 4.2. God expects scriptural truths to transform his people. Faithful preaching does the same. The preacher who identifies a passage of passages FCF for a congregation automatically moves the people to consider the Bible's solution and instruction for contemporary life. Therefore, biblical preaching that brings an FCF to the, uh, to the surface also recognizes the need for application. Absolutely. And so uh, when it, it should happen to you in your study before you can communicate it to anybody. When you work through your study, there should be a point where you say, okay, so based on what I just found out, based on what God just showed me through this study, what should we do? <laughs> you know, what now? There should be that question burning like, okay, so what do we do? <laughs> now that we know there's going to be false teachers they're going to be great speakers. They're going to be very crafty and cunning. Um, a lot of people are going to be led astray. Uh, uh, and and, and, and God, God does have a plan. 
to deal with them. You know, he does say that he's going to deal with them, but until he deals with them, what should we do? <laughs> you know, which, and that's when we begin to have that discussion of how do we respond once we relate it, you know, okay, so we still deal with this today. This is still a problem right now. Okay, Lord, what do we do? And that's where application comes in. The application is, what do we do? Um, I think about um, in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter is preaching the inaugural message of the church. And he begins to explain to them in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. And he says, uh, men and brethren, you know, I, I will have you know <laughs> that this man, Jesus, that God made both Lord and Christ, you crucified him. <laughs> You know, and, and and the people said, well, hold on, Peter. <laughs> what do we do? The Bible says they were cut to their hearts and they cried out to the apostles and to Peter. What do we do? And guess what? Peter had an answer. <laughs> he said, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, and so he, he had an answer. And when we're doing a proper study, it's going to lead us to this need for a, what do we do? Based upon this information, what do we do? Now, I'm going to give you um, another passage just to consider. Um, uh, and it's one that's very familiar. I'm going to do a familiar one now. And this might be harder because it's familiar. Go to John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. <laughs> John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It's a very familiar passage, so you, you might take it lightly, but I don't want you to take it lightly. I want you to use your three questions on it, just like you've never read it before. And this is something that you need to do. And I know, uh, I don't know who, who taught exegesis, probably was Nelson. or, or I don't, But one of the things that he likes to say is that you've got to look at this scripture like you've never read it before. Because if you bring your bias, if you bring... You know, you're already, uh, I already know what this means. You're going to miss some really good stuff. Okay. So John chapter three, verses 16 and 17. Let's get somebody to read that out loud. And then let's, you know, uh, apply our questions to it. I can read it. All right. Thank you. I'm reading the ESV version. Okay. Um, that's fine. Mm -hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen. Okay. So, what does the text say? <laughs> God loves the world. Mm -hmm. God loves the world. And what else? I think it's saying that i think it's kind of like sets the pattern of of the type of love that that god shows through giving of his only son for all of us amen amen anybody else and understanding that god didn't basically set us up for failure here he set us up to to for, for victory and so he didn't set us here to be condemned and and he didn't mm -hmm. set us here to be to perish and so 
he sent Jesus to help make sure that doesn't happen. Amen. 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 Okay. So what spiritual concerns did the text address in its context? Okay. Now, now, now again, we're just opening up the Bible and looking at it. Right? And so if you were to, to understand this context, you would have to read the passage, read the chapter, know what's going on, you know, and, and just to give you a little bit, Jesus is actually having a conversation with one individual here. And the, the, the writer, John, is just recounting this conversation between Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. And Jesus is explaining to Nicodemus how to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, understanding that that's the context, what spiritual concerns are being addressed here? Eternal life. Eternal life, yeah. How do, how do we get it? You know, well, that's going to be answered there. What else? Also by us believing and trusting in the Son mm -hmm. that gives us eternal life. So we have eternal life. We have the means of eternal life is being yes. addressed here. What else? What else? I would say because of the world condemned, like guilt and persecution and, you know, um, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, not to punish it. I feel like there's more to it. I mean, he loves everyone. That's what the passage, the first, you know, the first um, verse is saying. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want the world to perish. He doesn't want people living in the world or the things he's created to to perish because he loves them. Right. Yeah. I think that you know, and you could almost skip over that this is a spiritual concern. God's love. You know, especially if you think about their culture. You know, they were living in a culture that. For a long time, there was no word from the Lord. Now, Jesus comes on the scene and he starts explaining God. And they're like, well, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, and why is what is he talking about? And so Jesus finds it important to let them know about God's love. That what God is doing is not about condemnation. It's about love. <laughs> it's not about, you know, destroying it's about giving life, you know? And so Jesus here is, is, is driving home in this conversation because, you know, depending on your Bible, a lot of Bibles, this all is in red, which means that it's the words of Jesus, right? So it really is Jesus expressing something important, okay? And so question three, what spiritual concerns do the listeners share in common with those two or about whom the text was written. And so let's say us, what do we share in common with 
who whoever John is sharing this conversation that Jesus was having in Nic- with Nicodemus, he, you know, his audience, what do we share in common with them? That God loves us just as much <laughs> as we love them. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> what else? What else? Because that's number one. Number two, what else is there? Again, if we believe and trust in him, we receive eternal life. One more thing. <laughs> Give me one more thing about this. Is it that we're, it's not by our works? I mean, that's that's a given. It's not necessarily expressly said in this particular passage, but that's a given. So we have God loves us just as much as he loved them. Um, we, If we believe just like they believed, we'll receive eternal life. But there's one more thing there. That he doesn't want us to be destroyed. That's it. That's it. That's it. He has no desire for man to be destroyed. He's actually going out of his way that they might be saved. I mean, I mean, you know, I've been walking with the Lord a long time, but John 3.16 gets better and better and better to me the longer I walk with the Lord because I realize how far he went to make sure that I was saved, that I have eternal life, that I could be with him in the end. And people want to uh, believe that God wants to condemn the world. You know, there are people saying, oh, you know, you Christians only do right because you don't want to go to hell. No, we, we do right because we found out that God loves us. He loved us first. And because of his love, that's what transformed our heart. Not the fear of hell. The fear of hell didn't transform. It was God's love that transformed. We were like, whoa, you love me so so much that you sent your son? And that wasn't your intention was to, to destroy me, but to save me? And the only way I could be condemned is if I reject your generous offer? So, so you know, this, oh man, this passage is so good. It is so good, you know, and I think when we get that and we understand that, and so, so knowing that, knowing these things, right, finally, we come to application, so what should we do now that we know that that's how God feels? Somebody, just one person, what should we do? Repent. <laughs> yes. Turn to the Lord and accept this great offer. <laughs> you know? And so that's that application piece. And so, yeah, I get excited, y'all. You'll get used to me. You'll get used to me. You, oh, I love it. We, we, we get into the word. I get excited. The word excites me. <laughs> it's interesting to me, though, and I, and I didn't notice it until jumping between different translations that sometimes it is in red and sometimes it's not in red. Yeah, sometimes it's not. You know, in my Bible, it's in red. So I'm like, wow, this is amazing. But yeah, the the, the 
you know, whoever the uh, whoever did the translation, you know, they may not have thought that that was important, but I I feel like it's important. <laughs> Because they even have like the the verses before I read in the NIV, and when it gets to that, it goes back to black, and it's like, isn't Jesus still talking? Or <laughs> right, and, and maybe maybe in their interpretation, John is now taking over and just expressing the conclusion of what Jesus is saying. Giving yeah. synopsis, right? Okay. So, all right, um, uh, page thirty-five. Uh, we're still talking about application and the need for application. Page 35, uh, one, two, third paragraph. It says biblical preaching. Preaching, sorry. Let's get a reader. Biblical preaching. Probably everybody's read, so I guess whoever wants to jump in. <laughs> Go ahead, Don. Okay. <laughs> biblical preaching moves from exegesis exegetical mm -hmm. commentary and doctrinal exposition to life instruction. Mm -hmm. Such preaching exhorts as well as expounds because it recognizes that scripture's own goal is not merely to share information about God, but to conform his people mm. to the likeness of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Preaching without application may serve the mind but preaching with application results in service to Christ. Application makes Jesus the source of the objective of a sermon's exhortation, as well as the focus of its explanation. Okay, um, and you'll get used to this about me too. I'm a little, a little bit of a troublemaker at times. I, I like to stir up a little bit of trouble. Uh, if the goal of preaching is to conform people to Christ's likeness, then I, there's a lot of preaching that sometimes I'm wondering, what was the point? What was the point? And, and a lot of that preaching for me is the preaching that only focuses on making me feel better about me. And some people struggle with that because some people go to church to feel better about themselves. And so they want to hear a pastor preach a sermon that makes me feel better about me. But can you feel better about you and not become more like Christ? <laughs> and it's kind of a rhetorical question and maybe it's something that you want to ponder on. But if Jesus has taught that if anyone wants to come after me, he must first deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Then if I come to just hear messages that make me feel good about me, then am I denying myself so I can follow Jesus so I can be more like him? Or am I just using, you know, my, uh, my religion, <laughs> so to speak, my uh, access to the word of God as a source of, um, and, and this is the word that I created. I don't think it's a real word, but as a source of meism, you know, uh, this idea of just everything's about me. 
At some point, it's got to be about Christ and me being conformed to his image. Because actually, that's a better version. That's the better version. Not just me staying me and me feeling good about me being a better version, but me being conformed to the image of Christ. That's a better version. That's the best <laughs> version, right? Uh, you yeah. know. There's a whole lot of people that don't want to hear about that. They don't want to hear what feels good. They oh, it was oh, it felt so nice. It was such a nice sermon, and there's a whole lot of churches that they cater to that. Yeah, yeah. And that's where true transformation doesn't take place. That's why. That's where my issue comes in with preaching or hearing the truth. I should say, um, and I hate using the word feel good uh, or any of that i really don't like it because i want to give these preachers the benefit of the doubt but you know from my limited experience you know it's like i feel that like you shared today this evening oh i'm gonna use that topic for you know uh this um (laughs) today's service which means that lets me know you're not putting any effort into really asking god what they what he wants to share with that particular congregation or that church you're really just pulling out your sermons that you put together they're not going to have effect on anyone and that saddens me to be quite honest with you me too that saddens my heart because then we're losing truth transformation's not happening and i actually was talking to my husband about our previous class i said you know you know our instructor brought up a question like you know the word of god is a two-edged sword and it's supposed it's supposed to pierce us and change us and uh, you know uh, allow us to to look at ourselves and and try to make that change and I was like, it's not happening. And there's too many churches that I know that are like that. I think that's why I kind of get really discouraged because it's like, there's many churches that are like that, unfortunately. And there's very few that are not. And those that are not, it's like, you'll see there's sometimes there's not very many people sitting there either. It's really the ones that really want to be there. Right. Well, I, I went to I went to this church one time, and it was as a favor to, okay, yeah, it, 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 it's a relative who was being ordained, and this was his ordination. He was first time preaching, okay, and I, I could get really deep into it, but I'm not okay. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go, but I'm gonna sit on the edge of the aisle. And if I need to leave, I'm going to leave. And because, okay, I'm just going to say that this relative of mine is gay. And so he was being ordained as a pastor, okay? And I'm like, hmm, you know, and this whole thing just doesn't work for me, okay? But he was like, I really want you to come. And I was like, okay, so I did. I sat on the edge of the aisle and everything was so watered down. Oh, God loves us. God loves all of us. Everybody loves each other. And as I looked around the church, there were transvestites. There were Muslims. There were, I mean, you name it, you know, and all are welcome. And their, 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 what is it? I want to say their slogan, their, their 
whatever, that they have a banner in front of the church. It says, Rethink Baptists. Mm. And I <sighs> just, yeah. blew my mind. And, and, and here's, here, here's the, I think, the interesting thing about that is that the, the truth is, you know, that what they're saying is true. But if you really unpack the word, everybody's not going to want <laughs> to be there unless they want Jesus, right. you know? And so, yes, I think every church is going to say all is all are welcome. Everybody come, but we're going to actually preach the word mm -hmm. and you're going to be confronted with the truth of the word, you know, without bias, without partiality, you know, everybody comes to the fountain and decides if they're going to drink. You know, and, and that's what, and so, uh, but to water it down and, you know, massage the truth out of it, you know, so that nobody's offended, then I, I are they really? We all, we all should be convicted a little bit. A little you know? bit. Like, a little ooh, bit, right? Ooh, yeah. A lot of bit. A lot of bit, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, See, that's, that's the thing is that. You know, uh, I don't, you know, Jesus will accept us exactly how we are. However, he is not content to leave us where he found us, in the condition that he found us. So, um, and and that's where, you know, the champ, that, that his word of transforming us comes in. And I think a lot of, you know, what we hear sometimes out there is, you know, people are just, and you used the word just a moment ago, they're so afraid of offending anybody, you know, and, and, um, and then we're not getting, we're not getting that transformation, you know, people are not being transformed and, and the truth is, you know, getting watered down. Yeah. 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 Because like you said, you know, uh, I think about the, the woman in, uh, I think it was John chapter eight that was caught in the very act of adultery, right? And even though <clears throat> Jesus did not condemn her and did not let anyone condemn her, he says something interesting to her before he lets her go. He says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, I, I have none. He said, I don't accuse you either. So go your way and sin no more. Nobody says that when they talk about that story. They all talk about he is without sin, you know, cast the first stone and they all drop their stones and because Jesus doesn't want anyone, you know, condemning other people. But you forget at the end of this, Jesus doesn't let her off the hook. He says, even though I don't condemn you, which I'm probably I'm the only person that has the right to because I'm without sin. I'm not condemning you, but I will command you. Go your way and sin no more. And so in that moment, you see grace, right? Because grace keeps her from receiving the punishment that was due her. But grace not only keeps her from, but grace then empowers her to go and live differently. And that's the part of grace that nobody talks about is that grace doesn't just keep you you know, from condemnation, but grace empowers you 
to live righteously. <laughs> so, so grace is more, you know, uh, Peter called it the manifold grace of God. That's old King James. Y'all. As a, the, he said the manifold grace of God, which is the multidimensional, the multidiversity that grace has so many nuances in it that we don't even know all the parts of what grace is really doing in our life. <laughs> you, know? you know, so uh, with our last few minutes, I want to go over. You know, that that funny story at the end, because I feel like it's the opposite, you know, because you have those that are doing all this crazy stuff to water down the word and to, you know, get people to accept it. And they're 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 twisting it. But then you have people that actually want to do right by the word, but they just don't put anything in it. (laughs) So it doesn't impact you, even though it's it's solid, it's truth, it still doesn't impact you. And so page thirty seven. Um, one, two, three, I guess it's the th- fourth, uh, third or fourth paragraph is the story of the, uh, former student. Anybody want to read that one? It starts with a former student recently telephoned me. I'll read it. Go ahead. Thank you. A former student recently telephoned me for assistance because his congregation seemed to be growing less and less responsive to his preaching. Last Sunday during the sermon, he said, they just looked at me like they were uh, lumps on a log. I got no feedback whatsoever. What am I doing wrong? I asked him to describe his sermon to me. He responded by giving me the main points of his outline. Noah was wise, Noah was fearless, Noah was faithful. I understand, I said. Now, why did you tell him that? (laughs) There was a long pause on the other end of the phone line, and then he groaned. Oh, yeah, I forgot. (laughs) You know, in in this final statement here, information without application yields yields frustration. You know, um, I think that's, that's... that's important because you may be setting out to be faithful, and so you're not using all the tricks and all of the gimmicks, and but you don't want to be on the opposite end of that spectrum where you're you're giving truth, but I don't know what to do with it. You know, you're giving me information, but it's not producing transformation in my life. That's where this application comes in, and and that's why for me I break it down into how do I relate. And then how do I respond to what it is that I'm relating to? And so I've got to discern, okay, what do they have in common or what do we have in common with those whom this passage is written to? And then based upon this information, how do we respond? What do we do? And so, you know, if, if, you know, (laughs) his three points, you know, if, if Noah was wise, okay, what does that got to do with me? Well, you got to be wise. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And Noah feared the Lord enough to obey him, even when he had no idea of what he was doing. (laughs) You know, it says Noah was fearless. Noah is doing something that 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 is taking great courage because it's countercultural. Everybody else is living wickedly. Everybody else is living for themselves. And so we at times are going to have to be fearless, you know. And so taking that thing from you know, just these wonderful points and saying, okay, how, how, does, what, how does that relate to us? And then how do we respond? Okay. Um, 
So next week is the priority of the text. And from this point forward, the reading's going to get a little more heavy. Uh, these passages, these, these, these chapters are going to be a little more full. <laughs> and it starts with this one. This one's going to be a lot more technical. Uh, and so, um, and, in in my, you know, my lesson for next week will, uh, take into consideration that, um, be a lot, a lot more technical and I have everybody's email. So once I get off of here, I'm going to try to immediately send this, uh, PowerPoint, uh, to you so that you have the, um, or at least send to you the reading schedule, um, so that you have the reading schedule, um, so that you can follow along with that. Um, that's about it. Any questions, comments, concern? Oh, we're, we're right up. We're right on time. I felt like I was talking a lot. <laughs> All right. No questions, no comments, no concerns. All right. Who's going to pray us out? I, I just okay. want to quickly, um, you said we're all going to be um, giving a sermon at some point. Is this what I would guess that those are going to be happening like the last two sessions? Yeah. I, so I always try to check with, with uh, Chuck to get that part of the calendar set. Um, because it, you know, it all depends on ordination of, uh, the date of ordination. And then I try, I try to wrap us up at least a week or two so that you guys are able to get off. And usually I do my sermons on a Saturday. I usually block off a Saturday morning. Oh, so this won't be on zoom. Um, yeah, I think it'll still be on zoom, uh, unless, unless things are different. And then we'll get a room at CBTS and and, and we'll go to town. <laughs> but uh, it, just depending on where we're at at that particular time in, in 12 weeks, I mean, we, we could be, you know, things could be a lot different by then and it may be the same. So um, we'll, we'll figure that out as we get there. That's why I kind of just, uh, you know, keep it in contact with Chuck and seeing what he's, what he's saying and uh, keeping me updated on what we can do and what we can't do. So. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So for next week, what chapters do you want us to read? Just chapter three. You're just going right to chapter three. We're going to just go in order. Okay, read chapter the, three. Yep, the priority of the text. Yep, we're going to go right in order. Pretty, pretty much each week we're going to go right in order. Um, um, after chapter three, I'll start... Um, asking you to evaluate sermons and I will give you the criteria of what we're looking for when we do the evaluation. So you won't be doing this huge evaluation. There are going to be very specific things that you're looking for that, that we've taught on and talked about extensively. We're going to start looking for those things. Okay. All right. All right. Who wants to pray us out? Uh, let's go with Miss Sarah. <laughs> I had a feeling. I had a feeling. I should have just raised my hand. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you praise and just glorify you this evening, Lord. Thank you so much for this wonderful class and all this information that we have 
learn together and share, Lord God. I just give you praise, Father God, for this this time that you've given us to come together and, and just study and learn and share stories, Lord. I just want to give you thanks for these wonderful people, Father, our instructor and my great friends, Lord. I ask that you bless them and you be with them and you watch over them and Father God, I pray that you take care of all of their needs for the rest of their week, be with their families. Father, just protect them from everything that is going on. I give our instructor into your hands, Lord. I give you praise for his life, and I thank you for all this wealth of knowledge and his experience that he's bringing to us, Lord God, and just, you know, teaching us, you know, how we are to present your word. Lord, we love you so much, and I know that each and every one of our desire is to be able to share the word and truth and love, Lord God, and I pray that you empower us, Holy Spirit, that you really, really empower us and use us for the kingdom, Lord God, so that we can make an impact. Our hearts really desire for that true transformation to take place in the hearts and minds of the people that we will be reaching out to, Lord So strengthen us, Lord. Give us confidence. Give us strength. And we know that we can only accomplish this through your Holy Spirit. So thank you, Father, for everything that you do, for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you bless our evening tonight. We love you so very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you all. Enjoy y'all tonight. Um, hopefully we just, we just keep it going. Just keep it going. Amen. 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 God bless you. Be safe. Good night. All right. God bless you all. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Recording stopped. Hi, I'm Anthony Wilson the host of the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network. Now, if you have not been listening to the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network, you are missing out. You're missing out on deep and in-depth teaching. You're missing out on powerful conversations and fellowship with believers and podcasters from around the globe. Tune in every week, anytime, anywhere to the Love Thy Neighbor Podcast Network on Anchor fm slash anthony wilson or you can go to the love thy neighbor podcast network wordpress.com or you can go to spotify Castbox, apple podcast anywhere where podcasts are heard tune in and listen to the love thy neighbor podcast network remember love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself god bless you hope you're listening